This episode brought to you by Progressive. Most of you aren't just listening right now. You're driving, cleaning, and even exercising. But what if you could be saving money by switching to Progressive? Drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average. And auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. Multitask right now. Quote today at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. This is At The Turn. It's time for discussion and interviews about the world of golf you won't hear anywhere else. Here are your hosts, Nick Heidelberger and Joe Simons. Wherever you may be listening, thank you for joining us on this edition of At The Turn. Big episode today. Very excited about a prompt regarding the Masters, whether or not you could win it. If you had a substantial lead going into the final round, that should be a lot of fun. Phil Mickelson being so defiant. Nick, he's not listening to us. He's not going to go to the Champions Tour anytime soon. Definitely not. We'll Definitely talk about, not. <laughs> no, he's not. We'll talk about that. We'll hit Tory Pines, Tiger Woods 2020 debut. But first, Nick, you went to the PGA show. I spent eight days in Orlando, what? Florida. What? <laughs> yeah. Just got back into the cold weather here in New England. But uh, yeah, I, I caught the PGA show. It's kind of like always been a big deal about golf channel makes you know talks about the pga show and all this stuff and uh my first time going down there it's a massive massive display of golf stuff everything from relevant cool things to the most obscure asinine things that have to do with golf you would never want to incorporate into your game or your bag everything in between so ostensibly and correct me if i'm wrong it is a merchandise expo for the PGA tour, like in the headquarters of the PGA tour. Here's all the golf stuff. The, the you're PGA of America, not the PGA tour, but yes. PGA of America. Right. So Your yeah, people, every, my, my people, every golf vendor who's relevant and many who are not yet set up massive displays. I, I, I overheard there's a million square feet of, of yeah. show stuff. It's it was insane, but I, I've never seen so many like quasi celebrities in my life. Like <laughs> I, I was walking by a booth, Vineyard Vines and Jim Nance was there, and then a little later on, Annika Sorenstam was signing autographs. John Daly was signing autographs. John Daly looks like the biggest d bag you've ever seen. He's got this bleach blonde mullet, his big gut, and his loud mouth pants, and there's a line around the corner. For people to sign autographs, all these 19-year-old girls in loudmouth skirts, like escorting the line and, and no. getting people. Yeah, it was oh. it was exactly what you would imagine. Um, walked by, by a hotel bar with Brandel and Bailey Chambly having a nice nightcap. Just these like B-list people you've heard of, but like aren't that excited by. <laughs> was there anyone that you saw that you thought for half a second, like, okay? I gotta, I gotta meet this person. I gotta shake their hand and say you are something. No, I mean Jim Nance. I when I walked by, I was like, I should try to get a, a photo of Jim Nance, and I got like a, like between four people's shoulders and three cameras pictures of Jim Nance uh, from afar. But other than that, it was like, oh, oh there's John Daly. That's kind Did of funny. Nance put off an aura. Like, was it weird to see him in person? Um, 
a little bit. I mean, he's, he's a tall dude. Um, I don't know, but yeah, he, he's got that. I feel like what you get on TV from Jim Nance is a hundred percent Jim Nance. Yeah. Well, I don't know if you know this speaking, he's a big guy. Do you know, he was a uh, Fred couples college golf teammate. I did know that. <laughs> the worst watched, kept secret in Jim Nance's life. That's exactly right. That and the burnt toast. So were there any products that stood out from either being really cool or really dumb? Like, I don't want to hear about the stuff in the middle. Give me the extreme. Was there any on either side? Um, at one point, there was a, like, you know when you're landing an airplane, not you're landing, but you at the end of a runway, there's the big, huge wind sock? Sure. Yeah. So there's a wind sock that somebody invented to clip onto a golf cart so you can tell what the wind is doing. Um, <laughs> poor son wow. of a bitch. Because uh, if, if you're playing golf, you're on grass, and um, that is entirely unnecessary. Um, <laughs> in terms of the cool stuff, I mean, there's just there's so much, uh, like, um the virtual golf stuff you know it's more than just trackman and foresight there's probably five to ten companies doing that i heard there were 17 cbd companies there um that's like the, the new thing so it's it's very overwhelming um it's it's kind of interesting but it's it's just chaos so for the casual golf fan who's always kind of wanted to do this does it get a big recommend or just kind of a marginal recommend from you no, I, w- I wouldn't recommend it unless you're just oh. like in Florida. Well, it's mainly for like buyers, like people who are like filling their pe- their pro shops. Mm. Um, I don't think there's I think you have to get special access if you're just like somebody. You don't go there and buy like a new set of clubs, really. You just kind of check stuff out. They have a demo day, so you could do that. But it's mainly to get a media buzz in, in to uh, sell to the buyers. Um, so, no, I mean, it's nothing that you won't see for the next 12 months anywhere you go. Now, Nick, did you see any rangefinders while you were there? I, I did, actually. There was a nice, a nice Precision Pro booth. Really? Oh, absolutely. Well, folks, if there's one thing in your bag that you use more than your putter, your favorite iron, your wind sock that you attach to your golf cart, it's a rangefinder. If you're a real golfer, get a real rangefinder. We're very proud to be partners with Precision Pro. So proud, Nick, that I'm going to ask you the promo code to get a great discount on some of these incredible rangefinders. The promo code is at the turn. It's as simple as that. All one word, at the turn. And you're going to save 10 maybe even $20 on your favorite rangefinder. Go to Precision Pro. You want to swing with confidence. You know you want to hit more greens. The one way you do it with Precision Pro Golf. Quit spending money on those fancy instructors. You don't need to practice. Practice is for chumps. Get a rangefinder. Precision Pro at the turn is the promo code at checkout. Just do it. You have no reason not to. Get the hashtag dish the watch. No more watches, Nick. It's all rangefinders, baby. All right. How much did you watch of Tory Pines? I watched a decent amount. I watched maybe the last hour on Saturday and the last hour and a half on Sunday. Okay. Uh, So this was Tiger Woods' debut in 2020. Respectable performance. He was never really in the hunt, but he was always in the top 10, 20 of the tournament, finished T9. So 
a decent showing for Tiger to open the year. Are you encouraged, discouraged, or are you kind of flatlined about Tiger based on this performance? I'm encouraged. I mean, top 10 finish. Um, he played well. He was he was always in the mix. It was it was good to see. I mean, he made a couple, you know, I think he had a four putt, a four putt double bogey, which is just kind of you know weird. What that's to like. See. I know. Uh, no, I'm encouraged. He played well. He was, like you said, he was never like really in the hunt, but he was always on the cusp of being in the hunt. Like if he made like two birdies in a row at any point going into, you know, before the last nine on Sunday, he would have been right there. So a top 10 finish in a, in a, Really, one of the first strongest fields of the year. I'm, I think it's great. Yeah, it's certainly probably the strongest field they've had up until this point, considering you know the tournament champions. They're in Hawaii. You got the Bob Hope last week. Those are decent fields, but this is the first one where, I mean, just look at your 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 top three. You had your winner, Mark Leishman, who just lit up the place on Sunday, firing a 65. John Rahm and then Rory uh, Leishman, impressive. Very steady Australian golfer. Before you move on to Leishman, I have one one final note on Tiger. Two final notes, really. In two starts in the 2019-20 wraparound season, he won the Zozo and a T9 at Torrey. So putting together a nice resume. And Joe, I can't wait till we get to the episode where you actually give a shit about the stat I'm going to tell you right now. Tiger Woods passed Patrick Cantlay for the fourth and final spot of the American Olympic Team, if the standings ended today, they ended June, but if they ended today, Tiger Woods is in the Olympics. I'm going to make a prediction based on the Olympics right now. You're not going to give a shit until June about that. No, it's not. It's not, <laughs> it's not that I don't care. It, it is very far away. Uh, Patrick Cantlay is going to get one of those spots. That's a good prediction. I guarantee he's going to get one of those spots. It's going to wow. be Brooks. It's going to be Cantlay. Maybe Tiger, maybe DJ, maybe Thomas. I think Cantlay and Kepka are your locks, and I think those three, maybe if someone else gets hot, will have a chance to get in. So, in case you're not familiar, the top four Americans in the world rankings as of mid-June. Yeah. They make the 2020 Olympics in Tokyo, and something we've talked about in previous pods recently What's the one thing Tiger has left from an individual accomplishment standpoint besides the actual wins in the PGA Tour and majors winning an Olympic gold medal? If it matters in golf, Tiger's got it. And I think this is important to him considering the next one would come around when he's pushing 50. So this is probably his best chance in his form to win a gold medal. For sure. So See, I care. Just, just you do, you do. I just had to slip that in before, before we got too far away from Tiger. So now we can, we can talk about the guy who actually won the tournament now. No, let's. Let's uh, actually wait a second. <laughs> so Tiger, uh, he is taking the next two weeks off. So the next two tournaments on the PGA Tour, we're recording this on the Monday after the Farmers Insurance Open, which is the tournament at Torrey Pines. They're going to be in Phoenix, traditionally the week of the Super Bowl. Then they'll be at Pebble. Tiger is going to skip both of those. And then he'll be in L.A. playing at Riviera, a tournament that he now hosts over Valentine's Day weekend. That will be Tiger's next start. You good? You good on yeah. Tiger? Oh, good, yeah. Okay, great. Mark Leishman, uh, the journeyman Australia. He picks up his fifth PGA Tour win, like I mentioned, firing that very impressive final round. He's been around in majors. He almost won the British Open a couple years ago. I think he lost in that playoff to uh, Zach Johnson. But very solid player. Good for him. Uh, good for Australia. Australia, strong showing in the PGA Tour early. Cam Smith and now Mark Leishman. 
Yeah, he was – God, he was so dominant yesterday. And we talked about it on our last pod. If you would rather have somebody get a, a very meaningful win for their career or have just a stacked leaderboard. And this was fun because you had Leishman, you had John Rahm and, and Roy McIlroy who were close, always a few strokes behind. But Leishman, I, I, he probably made, I don't know, four or five putts outside of five feet on the back nine. So it was always like – Man, if, if he misses this, if he misses this par putt, and you know, Ram was hot on that back nine, and Rory, it, w- it was it was very close. And I think he maybe missed one. Uh, I think he made one bogey in the back nine. And, and John Ram, that was a pretty exciting finish. Needed an eagle on the last hole to force a playoff, and he's on the green in two in the exact same spot he made eagle from in 2017 to win. And they kept lining up the highlight from that exact putt. And it was like, oh my God, he's going to do this. And uh, he missed the putt, but it was still an exciting finish. It was, but Rom was in that position because he went out in 39. He only shot two under on Sunday. If he shoots 68, he wins the golf tournament. Uh, I don't think he has a proclivity for doing this, but I don't necessarily think of Rom as a closer either. He's kind of, at least early in his career, sort of in that Ricky mold where when Ricky... Gets out in front, he doesn't typically finish it off, but if you need someone to go out and shoot 65 early, kind of like Leishman did, I think Rom has more of a chance to win that way than he does of stacking that big lead and closing it out. I don't know, man. I'd put I'd I'd take Rom over Ricky in the uh in the back nine for sure. I mean, he he had a bad front nine on Sunday at a bad time for for a bad um, you know, front nine or bad I mean, God, he was four over through five holes. But I think it's too soon. Maybe I just haven't followed him closely enough to consider that a trend for, for John Rahm. Whereas with Ricky, I mean, the data's there and go back 10 years. God, yeah. is, is, is 2020 the year you just crush Ricky on this <laughs> podcast? I think we've just been so... I mean, like, if Ricky was anybody else and not this marketable, charismatic guy who they're building all these commercials around, we would not give him so much credit. We give... He's... He's definitely the most overrated player. I mean, wow. We're we always talk about when is when he's going to win our major. Like it's definitely going to happen. <laughs> and w- whenever he wins, like the John Deere or the players, it's like it's like, oh my God, Ricky, how, how much is he going to win in the next twelve months? And if you really go back and look, it's I, I bet you I could find five players who who the casual golf fan has never heard of who have a better resume than Ricky. Huh. It's funny. Cause we were actually watching the tournament. And, uh, uh, state farm commercial came on. <laughs> and Lacey's like, Oh, how's Ricky doing in this tournament? Like, well, <laughs> how did Ricky do? He missed the cut. They, like, oh, he, what? Did. he missed the cut. He's in all these commercials. He can't even play on the weekend. <laughs> no, not this weekend. Uh, does Lacey root for Ricky? As much as Lacey roots for any golfer, I think she roots for Ricky. <laughs> yeah. Ashley's the same way. We'll turn it on and she'll be like, oh, God, golf. Oh, Ricky. Oh. Oh, he's not going to win, though. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's the same emotions in our household. Yeah. Yeah. It's the same. So, you know what? If if Ricky doing well means I get to watch a little bit more golf, hey, man, I'm all for it. And I'm not rooting against him. I'm just sobering up to the reality that he's not all he's cracked up to be. So I guess in short, to answer my question, yes, 2020 is the year where (laughs) you just unload on Ricky every chance you get. I guess. We'll see how it goes. Rory had a good week, 
finished third. That guy's a weird putter, man. He's it just it just looks weird. And I saw Faldo break it down, but he doesn't take any practice strokes at the like at the ball or behind the ball or anywhere around the ball. He just lines it up and goes. I, I kind of love that. I never noticed it. I, I didn't. I missed that little segment, but it's kind of uh, it's kind of a baller move there. Just show your confidence. You just look at it, and feel your instincts. You know, not plumb bobbing like half these guys out there and reading it from both sides and and laying on your chest and you know all this. You know, going to your maybe he probably is going to his yardage book or his screen reading book, but just walk up and hit it. Well, I do think all the bus the best putters are fast with the exception of tiger and tiger's not slow but he's certainly deliberate but it's only good if it's going in man like rory's not a very good putter he he just isn't and it's the piece of his game that holds him back from being at the level brooks is right now rory cleans up in the regular events hasn't won a major if he doesn't win this year that'll be a sixth year or six years since he's won a major tournament so it's been a little while now I just want Rory to be great. I think to have a dominant player like Brooks and a dominant player like Rory peaking at the same time is what we need. We haven't had that in so long where players have been dominant players have been at their peak at the same time. Frankly, the last time it happened was Tiger Woods and Vijay Singh in like 2004. I can't think of another example of it since then. Yeah, especially in a Ryder Cup year, if those two guys got hot and were like, trading off number one and number two in the world, which Rory, if he won this week, would have taken over number one in the world, which would have been pretty cool. But they're on that cusp like we're talking about. And if they can kind of sustain that all year and create some extra buzz with the Ryder Cup coming to the United States this year, man, that would be awesome. Can we talk about someone who really wants to be on the Ryder Cup team but probably won't be if his current form continues? Joe, yeah, I, I'm not the only left-handed golfer who talks a big game but can't hit it on the planet. Phil Mickelson, as of this recording, is going to Saudi Arabia to play in the controversial event over there. His form is not great going into it, Nick. He has missed his last two cuts at both the Bob Hope and at Torrey Pines, Basically, his backyard. If Phil's not making the cut at Torrey Pines, his game is not in good shape. Now, it's not like Phil is years removed from playing well. In a couple weeks, he's going to defend at Pebble Beach. So he won a tournament within the last 52 weeks. But man, he is not playing good. And on our most recent podcast, if you listen, we made bold predictions about how much Phil's going to play. Especially me. I was pretty pretty guilty of this, (laughs) saying how much Phil was going to play in the Champions Tour. And how he'd love cleaning up. And certainly the U.S. Senior Open, yada, yada, yada. Well, I would say the next day or two after we put that podcast out, Phil was asked, because he's going to be turning 50 in June, do you plan on playing a split schedule? PGA Tour, Champions Tour. He said, no, I will not be playing on the Champions Tour as long as I keep, quote, bombing it. That's all Phil cares about is bombing it. He didn't care if he's missing all the cuts. If he's hitting it farther than Justin Thomas... And Justin takes home the hardware for Phil. That's mission accomplished. I also am very confused on what he thinks. I mean, I, I haven't looked up his stats as far as how, how far he's hitting it, but I did happen to peruse his um, fairways hit stats from Tory Pines. Joe, you 28 fairways. You care to take a gander how many Phil found in two Out rounds? Of 28? Out of 28. I'm going to be charitable and say nine. <laughs> Seven. 
Phil hit seven of 28 fairways. He hit a quarter of the fairways. Shot. Of course, <laughs> folks, for reference, this course is in San Diego, where Phil grew up. He's probably played this course, I don't know, a thousand times, if not more, in his life. And he hit seven of 28 fairways. He's, he's not known for hitting a lot of fairways, but I did say that I wanted to drive it like a 10 handicap in 2020. And I looked up those stats and that's hitting about 50% of your fairway. So if Phil hits a quarter and he's playing on the PGA tour, so there's something wrong there. He shot 72, 73, um, pretty pathetic. You know, he's headed over to the desert. Um, he is very against playing on the Champions Tour, and at first I was a little bit offended by this, that he was so adamant against it. But then when I started to think about it, I, I, do I want to see Phil win on the Champions Tour and beat Ernie Els, or I want to see him, you know, make a cut and not really be relevant on the PGA Tour for as long as possible? Well, I mean, there's not really a precedent for golfers winning in their 50s on the PGA Tour at a consistent rate. It happens every so often. I think mm -hmm. Davis Love did it a few years ago at age like 52 or 53. So it happens, but it only happens once every couple of years, and it's a player of Phil's stature that does it. I think the split schedule makes the most sense. I also think Phil is an egomaniac. <laughs> so for him to participate in what is viewed as a lesser tour – where the competition isn't as good, the courses play a little easier. I can understand that. But Phil ain't lighting the world on fire. He's outside of the top. I think he's in the 70s right now in world ranking. So 86. 80. He's ranked 86, two above Rory Sabatini. Who will undoubtedly be in the Olympics representing Slovakia. For sure. For that story. Oh, yeah. He's... he's <laughs> Not only will he be in the Olympics, but I'll bet you in like two or three years he'll be stripped of his Olympus, Olympic qualification because of some doping scandal, I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good call. I like that. I mean, so, he made – just to, to stay on this aside, yeah. he like went public about his desire to play in the Olympics, changed his – got citizenship in Slovakia, and then – and then you saw him like shooting up leaderboards and it's like, wait a second. All, all of a sudden he's good somehow. And I don't know – you know, how you cheat in golf, really. Like, HGH helps you hit more home runs, but does it help you shoot 65? I don't know. I don't know how to cheat in golf. It probably allows you to practice more. <laughs> yeah, whatever it is, whatever rule there is to break regarding performance enhancers, I'm sure he's breaking it. <laughs> uh, yeah, so for, for context, Rory Sabatini is from South Africa. Uh, obviously a very stout country when golf is concerned. No way he'd make it on the Olympic team. There's certainly two South Africans that are better than him uh, that will be competing for the Olympics as well. So, okay, enough Sabatini talk. Back to <laughs> Phil. So, looked it up. Phil finished 19th in driving distance in 2019, 37th this year. So, okay, he's hitting it well for an old guy, but he's not sure. at the top, yeah. top, top. Is it impressive? Yes. Is it good enough to be going around to every camera you see and say, I'm hitting bombs, I'm not going to stop until I'm hitting bombs, when there's 36 guys who are bombing it farther than you? No. I mean, if you if you think about it, and those guys are all, in, like, say, the, in whatever major championship, they're all in the field, he's in the middle of the pack in terms of driving distance. He is. So I'm just looking it up real quick. Phil has finished no higher than 163rd on the PGA Tour and driving accuracy the last five years. 
<laughs> this year, this season, this wraparound season, he is 199th on the PGA Tour in driving accuracy. He's hitting 54% of his fairways. Shaq did better making free throws than that, Nick. So, I just think this narrative that he is bringing on himself is so reverse from what you normally think about Phil. You think about Phil, you think about the best short game of all time. Why would he not talk about his short game? Why would he draw attention to his game off the tee when he misses his, the fairways 46% of the time and he's average, slightly better than average in length? 2019, after Phil won Pebble, it seemed like his mission was one thing. Get good at social media. His Twitter, his Instagram, this seems to be his main focus right now. He does these things called fireside chats where he puts a blazer on and he sits in front of a fire and he either just talks direct to camera or he has a guest and he has a whole thing. And to your point, it is interesting that he's deciding to embrace the power as opposed to his short game prowess because what's more tailor-made for social media and Instagram? Pulling off awesome shots around the green because you can see the entire shot in totality, whereas a driver, okay, you can shot track it or whatever if you have the technology to do that in your backyard. Phil probably does. But hitting like weird backwards flop shots and crazy shots out of bunkers and sinking long putts, that is tailor-made for social media. Whoever is in Phil's ear, they got to change. It's true. Because if yeah, I mean, if he just goes out there and is average off the tee and has highlight real short game, we're all in on Phil. But he's talking about hitting bombs when he's his average driver of the ball. He's skipping his hometown tournament to go to Saudi Arabia for a paycheck. He's blowing off the Champions Tour. I don't know. I don't know who his PR guy is, but it's, it's I don't know. I think it's back. The fireside with Phil is pretty awesome. Everything else, I'm not a fan of. Yeah, and don't get me wrong. Phil is quite literally my favorite golfer of all time, so... How, how is his stock done in your book in the last six months, though? Oh, it's the same. Like You don't care? It's not that I don't care. It's just that I don't think it affects what I think about him as a golfer and, like, the super weirdo that he is and his whole persona. I think he's really leaning into being this kind of weird figure late in his career, probably in part because he recognizes that He's not going to be someone who competes every week. Like, okay, if Phil missed all the cuts going into Augusta and finished third at the Masters, I wouldn't be surprised by that. If Phil wins at Pebble in a couple weeks, I wouldn't be surprised by that. Phil is the kind of guy who can just flip a switch and still win a golf tournament, which is probably why he wants to continue to compete in the PGA Tour. That being said, I don't think he's putting in the same level of grind that he probably even did four or five years ago because I think he's very comfortable with his place in the game of golf. He's won 40-plus tournaments. He's won five majors, three green jackets. I think if he was never to win another tournament, he'd be very happy with his career. But I don't think, at least at this point, he views going playing with the old guys as something that's worth his time. He'd rather hang out with the young guys. Last thing on Phil, when do you think he'll make his Champions Tour debut? I've got a prediction on this, but I want to get your take. I would say he probably does it within two years of turning 50. Okay. I, so I'm, yeah, I, yeah. I give it a shorter timeline than that. I got, I got January, 2021. I think uh, he'll, he'll 
avoid it this year. I think, I think the Hawaii tournament next January, um, he, he might uh, tee it up. So that, that's what I got on him. I will say, I think any success he has in the PGA Tour will prolong that timeline. Correct. Um, I don't think he's going to have any success on the PGA Tour. I don't see it happening. He might make a few cuts, but I don't think he'll, you know, maybe a top 10 here or there, but I don't think he'll really com- contend to win. I don't think he'll have a top five. I don't think he'll really do well in a major. Who's more likely to win a major, Phil or Ricky? No, I'm kidding. Ricky. That. Yeah. So Phil won the Masters three times. Got to give a shout out to Ghost of Hogan on Twitter. Put out this incredible question probably like in October or November, but I I grabbed it because I loved it so much because I think it's going to be great. Great conversation for us here at the turn, Nick. Okay, here you go. You have an 18-shot lead at the 2020 Masters going into Sunday. All the usual suspects are chasing you. Could you close the deal? And if not, by what hole would you have pissed away your lead? Well, Joe... I've got a very scientific answer to this question. Please. So I looked up the course slope and rating of Augusta National. <laughs> I plugged in my handicap. My course handicap at Augusta is 32, <laughs> meaning I, I'd be shooting about 104 um, if I was, you know, on a good day. Dropped a 104. Wait a minute. There. Wait a minute. Yeah. I got to pause you right there. If you shot 104 at Augusta, how would you feel about that? I'd be thrilled. Uh, yeah, okay. That's my point. That y- You can't qualify that as a good day. That's a great day. I mean, I'm just going by the numbers, Joe. I, I, I'm just going by the numbers. Data-driven. So it's data-driven. Um, last year, two of the top four players, two of the top four players, or two of the top four shot minus four in the last round. In 2019. So they're shooting 68. I'm shooting 104. We extrapolate that across 18 holes. I am tied for the lead going into the 10th hole. And that is the last I will see my name on top of the leaderboard. That's a tough hole. That 10 <laughs> is a tough hole, man. You got to come down the hill, long par four. Yeah, Ugh. I can see that. Yeah. Uh, so I put a little bit of science into mine. Okay. The lowest final round ever shot by a winner at Augusta was Gary Player in 1978. He shot 64 to win. So, under the most dire of circumstances, that means that I would have to shoot 81. If someone rips off the best round (laughs) in Masters history, or tying Gary Player's mark, essentially, to win the Masters if they're in a position where they're close enough to do it, I would have to shoot 81 to hold on. I'm not going to shoot 81 in the final round of the Masters, Dick. But let's be a little bit kind to me, right? Let's say, okay. Okay. They played the Masters a lot. I think this is the 83rd time this year. That's happened once. So let's give a couple shots for buffer, right? Let's say the winning score is 68. Okay? That's fair. That's, That's the number I had. So that would mean I would have to shoot an 85 in the final round of the Masters, to win. By a stroke. By a stroke. That also means you have a putt that is to either win or go to a playoff. Oh, man. I hope it's short. (laughs) (laughs) So that means that I have to shoot an 85 to win the Masters. Uh, I'm not going to do that either. 
Now, I am a six handicap, so shooting at 85 is not out of the question. On a tough golf course. Maybe even Augusta under a dream round scenario. Final round paired with Bubba Watson, probably not going to pull that off <laughs> as much confidence as I have to myself. But given that, I think that unless I really just started tanking right away, which is certainly a possibility, <laughs> I might be able to get it into the middle of the back nine. So here, here's the scenario I think where I give it away, Nick. Okay. The 15th hole at Augusta is a par five. You have a shot over a creek going into the hole. Usually, I don't know, the players are 220, 250 yards out for their second shot. Under the scenario where I am just totally leaking oil, which is obviously the scenario we're going with, <laughs> let's say I have a two-shot lead. I put my tee shot somehow in the fairway, and I think, hell yeah. I'm going to make a birdie. Even though I light, made a baby. Par. Yeah, even though I haven't <laughs> made a par all day, time to make a birdie. <laughs> Put some pressure on Bubba. Let's go. And I would obviously hit the end of the drink. Probably make a nine on the hole. Lead gone. Hopefully I can finish in the top 12 so I get an invite back to next year's tournament. <laughs> ah, I love it. But 15th hole is where I gag. Wow. Joe, the best thing that could happen to you on that 15th hole would be to miss the fairway. So you're forced to lay up. Take your par. Your first par of the day. <laughs> and move on. You're probably right, because then you get the par 316th, and everyone just makes an ace on that hole. It, that's the most arrogant thing I have about golf and myself. I assume that if I played that hole on Sunday, I have like a 30% chance of making a hole-in-one. You know where to hit it. I, just top of the hill, baby. It's going to roll yeah. in like most of the time. Exactly. So, okay. To recap, you would lose it on 10. I would lose it on 15. That sounds about right. Yeah. Yeah. I hope... I hope we get the chance someday. <laughs> let, me, let me ask you this to kind of tack on. Who would be the player you would most want to be paired with on Sunday in that scenario? I would want it to be Ricky because <laughs> everybody would be rooting for Ricky to win his – actually, I'd want it to be Ricky because I'd have a better chance of winning, really. Wow. <laughs> My answer is I, clear for the complete opposite reason. I want to be paired with Patrick Reed because I know everyone in the gallery would want me to win. Yeah, for sure. You feed off that energy. You feed off that crowd. You make a tough putt or, or like you sink a 10-footer to save double, like on the fourth hole. <laughs> Come on, Joe. Let's go. Yeah. You'd, you'd be signing autographs mid-round. High five with babies. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I would, dude. If I had an 18-shot lead at the Masters, the reason I wouldn't win is because I'd be partying so much the night before. And just going crazy in Butler Cabin. I like your point about just finishing the top 12 to get an invite the next year. That's really, that's the real win. So that, that's the win. What I really hope is in building up my 18-shot lead going into Sunday, I've made an eagle. Because that's the low-key coolest thing about the Masters that they don't really talk about ever anymore in the broadcast. I don't understand why. You get crystal. They give you a crystal keepsake if you make an eagle at the Masters. Wow. I did not know that. Yeah, it's the coolest thing ever. And I don't know why they don't talk about it anymore. Whenever I see someone like Brooks make like four Eagles at Augusta, I'm like, that dude's <laughs> shelf is just going to be full of U.S. Open trophies and crystal. Wow. His mantle looks a lot better than mine. I'm just going to throw that out there for sure. Speaking of which, before we – do you have to go or can we touch on Bryson for a hot second? No, we, we absolutely can. Okay, so I'll try to set this up best I can. Um, 
they were asking Bryson DeChambeau about his physique because he's gotten really kind of crazy about the whole workout thing. And they asked him about it. And I think there was also a question related to Brooks. And he said, well, you know, they always talk about Brooks working out, but I haven't seen a six pack. And so Brooks hears this and just posts on Instagram a photo of the four major championship trophies that he's won. And he just added Bryson. It's like, at Bryson, you're right. I'm too short of a six pack. <laughs> DeChambeau dead. Seriously, that was that was the ultimate comeback, I think. No way Bryson comes back from that. But you know what? I think Bryson is leaning into this Brooks rivalry. And I think it's good. Like, he doesn't just bring up Brooks for no reason. Bryson knows what he's doing. He's calculated enough of a guy wow. to know he's going to get roasted by Brooks. But I think I think that's kind of part of his shtick. Like, he wants to play up that rivalry. If there's a Bryson and Brooks rivalry, that means that Bryson is relevant. And I don't think anything else he's really done in the last six to nine months has made him relevant. So... Why not be part of this feud if he plays well or if he gets paired with him? It's going to be that much more exciting. It's it's at least a storyline. Like, we don't really have a good rivalry right now. So, why not? I would say between this and his reputation of being notoriously slow on the golf course, he's not Patrick Reed, but... He's starting to enter into villain territory. I, I don't I don't think it's a bad thing. No. But I do you do you agree that he's starting to trend that way? I definitely agree. And I think I I think it's great because he's a villain for the right reasons. He's not a villain for cheating, which which Patrick Reed is. So you you can put them in the same class in the fact that people love to hate those guys, for sure, and they do. But the difference between Bryson and Patrick Reed is Patrick Reed is repeatedly been accused of being a cheater. So there's no coming back from that. Bryson is just, he just pops off when he shouldn't. He's, he, he says things he know he shouldn't, but, but it's not, it's, it's, it's completely in line. He, he's not really offending anybody. He's, not, he's just kind of being playful and kind of bringing it on himself, which I think is fine. Good reason to not like the guy, to root against him, to, to keep him you know, in that villain category, but it's different, definitely a different echelon than, than Patrick Reed. Yeah, I think that's right. I, ultimately, like, like you said, it's... You can defend liking Bryson. Like, if I'm just like, hey, I kind of like him. He's different, you know, he, he's a little weird. He, he kind of says off-the-cuff things. Like, I like him, sure, that's fine. It, it's really tough to defend liking Patrick Reed. It is. There's really no argument to be made. I, I, I legitimately cannot think of an argument to be... Like, okay, so after, obviously, the very sad news about Kobe Bryant. It just happened yesterday. I wanted to cheer myself up, so I flipped on the golf tournament, and Patrick Reed was on there, and I was just roasting his ass. It was so much fun. <laughs> just making fun of his swing, his general demeanor. It was great. I love to hate Patrick Reed. Yeah. So, that, yeah, sorry, that's all, I got on, that's all I got on Patrick Reed and Bryson. No, that's all good. Do you have anything else uh, on the podcast in general? Um, I just want to let all the fans know at the Turn Nation – you're not following us on social media, please do. At the Turn Pod on Twitter, at the Turn Pod on Instagram. Um, if you're listening, if you like us, subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes. If you left us a review on iTunes, it would be the kindest thing you've done in 2020. We'd be very, th very thrilled about that. 
recommend us to your friends. Um, that is if you like us. If you don't like us, you don't need to do that. No, screw that. Look, you guys are making Nick beg for these reviews. Give us a damn review. It makes him sad. You should see his face right now. Review the damn pot. You've been listening for 45 minutes. It's the middle of January. You're listening to a golf podcast. Please don't do it for me. Don't do it for yourself. Do it for Nick. It's true. I get I get those emails once a month with with all of our updated reviews, and <laughs> every month it's just so like, sad. At the turn, check out your latest reviews, and I open it, and it's like no reviews. <laughs> Better luck <laughs> so next time, sad. buddy. So sad. Uh, also, want to remind you: hit up Precision Pro, get a rangefinder. You can get some money off of it. Use promo code at the turn at checkout. You want to swing with confidence. You want to hit more greens. You do it with Precision Pro Golf. I don't know what else to tell you. Great product. Go get it. Nick, what's our next uh, landmark on the on the golf calendar here? Um, I mean, I don't see any reason to uh, move away from the Tiger Woods schedule. I mean, he's playing middle of February. It gives us a couple of weeks to kind Love of it. evaluate what's going on. We've got the Super Bowl next week. Joe, who you got? I think the Niners are going to win. Okay. I think they're the better team. I mean – Chiefs could go out and, and, and score 40 and blow them out, and I, I wouldn't be surprised, but I just think the Niners are a better team. What about you? I think I got the Chiefs. Yeah? Yeah, I think so. Okay. <laughs> do, do you care to elaborate on that, or is that just your take? Um, well, I was thinking about it today when I was driving to work, and, that, and I was like, if I, if I had to bet 50 bucks on one of these teams, you know, who would it be? Because I was, I was, I'm trying to get like, excited for it, but it's Chiefs and the Niners. You know what I, know, I mean? I don't like, really care. Either. You know, so I'm trying to get excited for it, and I was like, yeah, I think I'd put it on the Chiefs. So... Yeah, that's that's my elaboration. <laughs> I will say my older brother and his oldest son are both Niners fans, and I have to watch the Super Bowl with them, mm. and they're going to be obnoxious as hell. So I'll probably end up having a beer or two and then starting to root for the Chiefs pretty hard just to be in their <laughs> face about it. <laughs> it's always fun to root against the people in the room. It, it, it really is. you got to have a reason to care. For sure. Okay, that's the pod. We'll come back Monday. Monday after Valentine's Day. You guys going anywhere for Valentine's Day? Let's make it a date. Yeah, I don't know. No plans yet. But yeah, that sounds good. Monday after Valentine's Day. Let's do it. Sorry, I don't want to spoil. Ashley, if you're listening, I don't want to spoil any surprises. I'm sure the elaborate romantic gesture Nick has planned for you. Exactly. Exactly. We'll keep it Fair enough. that. Okay, that sounds good. Thank you again so much for listening. Precision Pro, at the turn, use the code. We'll see you in a couple weeks. Bryson and Patrick, your weirdos. I'm Lacey Evans. Thanks for listening. And we'll see you next time at the turn.